Well, good morning and welcome to uh, this service of worship at Freedom Church. Uh, my wife Mary and I are privileged to be back today. In fact, at our age, we're privileged to be anywhere. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, uh, Brother Churchill, for this invitation. Now, I thought I would wear a mask, but with my accent, you probably wouldn't understand a lot of my words, so I'm going to leave the mask off and try to uh, speak as clearly as I possibly can. To you are here who are here this morning and those who are watching uh, through other means, God bless you, and thank you for coming to the house of the Lord today. Thank you for uh, that the Holy Spirit of God touched your heart and brought you here. There were many others who should have been here this morning, but you are the obedient ones, and God bless you. It is a time of great crisis in our nation, and we certainly are praying, and I want you to pray for your country. This is a wonderful country. Oh, how wonderful it really is. For th 32 years, my wife Mary and I were your missionaries in Indonesia. So we have lived under other governments. We worked uh, not only in Indonesia, but in Burma, which is Myanmar. We worked in Thailand and uh, in Malaysia, in the Philippines, and in China. And uh, although uh, we are uh, at this age, we are still active, and how thankful I am. Uh, this year, Mary and I celebrated 62 years of marriage. <laughs> to put up with a Baptist preacher for 62 years, she certainly will have a crown, uh, and we're thankful for, for the life that, uh, that's fine, for the life we've had together. Is it clear? Okay. Splendid. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, we are delighted to be here today to share with you and to pick up on this theme of, of grace. Uh, I uh, was uh, having a funeral recently, and uh, are we having trouble? Can you hear? I don't have any... Ah, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> it's so important that the Word of God be spoken clearly, distinctly, where it is understood, and where the Holy Spirit of God can take His Word and address the needs of your heart. Again, these are difficult days. Uh, not long ago, I had a funeral. There weren't but just about four people there, just four people. And uh, we, they said, we just want you at the graveside to say a few words, not long, and let's go home. And I said, well, could we just sing a song at the graveside? Well, what song do you want to sing? And I said, well, I like to sing Amazing Grace. And uh, the person said, well, you know, I don't like that song. Everybody is using it at every funeral. Even our Roman Catholic friends are using it. Uh, but uh, do you have any other songs? And I kept thinking about that. 
we did sing another song. But I want this morning to come back to this wonderful story of what's so amazing about God's grace. This year, by the wonderful mercy of God, I've been preaching 67 years. And I never get tired of telling this wonderful story of grace. The man who wrote that hymn was John Newton. He was an Englishman. He had had a very bad, wicked life. And on the last time he preached, his daughter wrote this story that she took the old gentleman to a place where they had invited him to preach. And so he, uh, he was ready, and she helped him up to the pulpit, and she sat down. And John Newton, the writer, the author, the composer of Amazing Grace, stood there for a moment. And like some of us elderly people, try to think, now just what am I going to say? And he paused for a moment, and then he said, I, my name is John Newton. I know I was invited here to preach today, but very frankly, I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> and uh, he said, but I can say this. I once was a great sinner, and God's grace found me and saved me. That's the most important thing you need to know. Just believe it. And he sat down. He never preached again. He died two days later. I want to tell you about God's grace. It's the most important thing you need to know. In the middle of your Bible, Psalm 107, I invite you to open your Bibles. If you have a Bible or if you have the text on your telephone or whatever, I want to speak just I want to speak this morning from Psalm 107. It's in the middle of the Psalms, and it is a great psalm about grace. I'd like to read just the first couple of verses and the last, but I'm going to expound the whole psalm, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Psalm 107 Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Steve just led us in that song. Didn't we sing, God is good? Huh? So God is just affirming that to your heart. God is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Please underline that word, uh, un loving kindness. This is the Old Testament word for the New Testament word, grace. Loving kindness is a word that is given by God more than 800 times in the Old Testament alone. When Moses asked God, after the children of Israel had uh, made the golden calf and they had bowed down to it, Moses asked God, God, what in the world are you going to do with this bunch of sinners? And God said, Moses, you just hide behind this rock just a moment and let me tell you what I am like. Let me tell you who I am. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood above him and called out the name, the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, 
the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeping loving kindness for a thousand generations. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is the God who reveals himself in the scriptures, the God of grace. The other day I was uh, at a bakery. I'm so infatuated with your pastries. My wife tells me that you can have one, but don't bring any home. So I occasionally stop by and have one of your wonderful pastries. And the, wonder, the lady that served me, uh, I noticed had a, a, a rosary, a Catholic rosary on her hand as she, she talked to me. And I, I looked at the rosary and I, I thought uh, she, she must love the Lord. She's been praying. The rosary, and many of you have rosaries, uh, perhaps you put them up, but it has 59 little beads on it. And you go through the worship and the, the story of the rosary. We worked among the Muslim people for so many years. We worked with the animistic Muslims on the island of Java. They too have a rosary. And it is a rosary not of 59 beads of remembrance, but they have one that is 99 beads. And uh, they say these are the 99 beautiful names of Allah, of God. Plus one. Plus one? Yes, 99 beads on the Muslim rosary, plus one. Well, what is the one? It's the name of God that we don't know. And I want to say to you this morning, God has revealed his name to you. And his name is loving kindness. His name is grace. Again, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. For his good, his loving kindness is everlasting and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So we're right on target this morning talking about, thinking about, meditating about, asking God's Spirit to speak to us about what God says about his grace. Let let those let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. That's what old John Newton was talking about. He had been a slave trader he had abused slave women. He lived a terrible life until God got a hold of his heart. And by his grace, he saved him and cleansed him and forgave him and washed him from his sins. And he became a, a wonderful witness for Christ Jesus. So this word grace appears here. And I'd like for you to look at the very last verse of chapter 107 it's verse 43 in fact who is wise who is wise who will be wise today who will have wisdom today let him give heed to these things and consider personally the loving kindness of God so let's talk about grace this morning we need grace our country needs grace I as Isaiah said we we live in a country that is fallen. This is a fallen country. 
the world is without Christ and they need him so desperately. And here in this wonderful psalm, it's almost like the psalmist is talking about our 20th century, about our day today, 21st century. In this wonderful psalm, it really is divided into four pictures. And I'd like briefly to talk about those four pictures. And they're four pictures, first of all, of great need. And perhaps as we look at each one of these briefly, you will, it'll be like a mirror that we look at. That's me today. That's my, my parents. That's my grandparents. That's my that's the person that I love. That's the person that I, I'm praying for. I see them. God is talking to them in this, in this wonderful psalm. Four beautiful pictures which talk about the need, and they're so contemporary. This first picture is actually in verses 4 through 9. I'm going to read it because it is a pattern that is repeated four different times to four different great needs. Verse 4, There are those who wandered in the wilderness in a desert place. They did not find a way to an established city or an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty and their souls fainted within them. But look at verse 6. Now underline that because he'll repeat it again and again four times. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distress and led them by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Now let us give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his grace, for his wonders to the son of men, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. So this, this first wonderful uh, insight into life he says they were like wanderers in the wilderness. Actually, the word wanderer means to go around in a circle. And you know a lot of folks who seem to be just running around in circles today, not only in their, their life and their married relationships, but in their heart. They seem to be simply running around in circles in a terrible vortex, which is pulling them down. And they are like people who simply don't know what life is about. My mother down in Virginia had this old mountain saying. She would said, that kid don't know what life is about. I think of my own soul. She said that about me. This kid don't know what life is about. I broke her heart. Oh, God, forgive me until the Lord got a hold to my heart. Are you running around in circles? That's almost like the way we see folks today. They don't know what to do. We hear this bit of information, and then there's something over here, and then there's something here. And our country and our people and our friends are just running around in circles. But God says they finally got so sick of going around in circles that they called upon the Lord, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Are you in trouble? Is someone you know in trouble? Someone you love that's in trouble? 
oh, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you just encourage them to call upon the name of the Lord? For you see, the Lord is gracious. He delivers us out of our distress. The word stress means something that is just absolutely pulling us apart. Many people said, I can't handle this stress, this stress from this COVID, this stress from from not knowing whether we will go to school tomorrow or not go to school, whether we'll go to work or not go to work, whether the country will go forward or whether it's going backwards, whether we're going this way or that way, and life just seems to be running in circles. I want to tell you that God is the one who delivers us from our troubles and our distress. Bless his name. That is grace. Loving kindness is God's hand reaching out to you. It is God reaching out to you saying, I am good. I am here for you. In the moments that you weep, in the moments when your heart is so sad that it breaks, God said, I'm here. I'm here. And he's good. He is good. And his mercy endureth forever. There's a second picture. Look at verse 10. Actually, this is a second uh, picture. And it actually runs from verse 10 to verse 15. Uh, And it goes something like this. I'll just introduce who they are. There are those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death. They're prisoners in misery and chain because they rebelled against the, the word of the Lord and spurned his counsel of the Most High. This is who they are, people who simply are sitting in darkness. I do interim pastoral work. That is, when a church doesn't have a pastor, I sometimes get invitations to help them. And I was helping a church recently, and uh, the COVID had hit, and we were not having church, uh, and we were having difficulty communicating with people. And I called one man, and I asked him how he was. He said, well, frankly, I've just pulled the shades on my window. I've locked my front door. And I'm sitting in the darkness, sitting in the darkness. Isaiah talked about those people. There are those who sit in darkness. My wife and I, for so many years as missionaries working in the, uh, among the Muslim peoples of Java, we found them sitting in darkness, in the darkness of sin. Satan wants you to give up and turn inward and close the door and close your life and just back up and shrivel up. But that's not what God wants. God knows the darkness. And if you've never known the darkness, if you've never been afraid, so much of our world is afraid. I I grew up in the mountains of southwest Virginia in a culture that was a very superstitious culture. And uh, fear was a great part of our lives. Afraid to go out in the dark, afraid to walk through a cemetery, afraid uh, to go into the woods at night, because you never knew what was there. And our society has, Satan has used even this glorious holiday next Sunday, All Saints Day in which we remember the blessed saints who taught us the word of God and those who witnessed to us and those who encouraged us who are now in glory. 
the day on which we should remember the great heroes of our Christian faith. Satan has used and twisted that so that it becomes Halloween and there is fear. And so much of a don't you dare teach your kids to fear. God is the God who delivers us. Listen to what he says. They are present prisoners in misery and chains because they've rebelled against God. I want to bless the name of the Lord. As a young man, I grew up fearful, fearful of life, fearful of the future. The only thing I knew about God was I better duck because he was going to strike me dead. And then, according to Hebrews, one day someone shared the gospel with me, and it was like I heard a key in a lock opening the door of my heart and my life, and into that darkness shone the face of the Son of God. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. God who said in the beginning, let there be light, is the very one who has shined into our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear brethren, dear friends, rejoice in the Lord because he is the one who not only gets us out of the wilderness, he gets us out of the darkness he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, said Jesus. He shall walk in the light of life. Oh, dear friends, so many of your friends, you know them. They are out there, and they are living in darkness. You can tell them there's light. You can tell them about Jesus. For you see, this poor man who was stumbling around, cried unto the Lord, verse 13, and the Lord saved him out of his distress, brought him out of darkness in the shadow of death, and broke the bonds that were holding him. And not only that, look at verse 16, he shattered the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron asunder. Oh, Satan simply wants to imprison you in darkness, in fear. But Christ has come and bless the Lord as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 4. He has delivered us who through all our lives were prisoners of fear. But Christ has come and we bless his holy name for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quickly, there's the third picture. It begins in verse 17 through 22. You ought to mark this. These are, these are just pictures. The first picture, of course, is the, the picture of the wanderer, chapter, uh, chapter 107, verses 4 through 9. That's the first picture. This man cried to the Lord. The Lord delivered him. The second picture begins in verse 10. Those that dwell in darkness... God delivers them. And I want to tell you, dear friends, the only hope of a lost world, a dying world, for a Muslim world, or a world without Christ is the light of God shining into their hearts. And that's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that you know. That's what we sing about this morning. Open your heart. Cry unto the Lord. Verse 17, the third picture. Foolish people they are because of their rebellious ways. 
Because of their, their iniquity were afflicted, their souls abhorred all food. They dwelt near the gate of death. It's been a tough couple of months for me personally. In late July, my only sibling uh, is a brother. We were just two boys. My father drowned when I was five years old, so there were just two of us boys. Mama raised them, had a difficult, difficult time with a second husband, as she did with the first one. And, um, but Ronnie and I were raised together. Ronnie went home to be with the Lord just uh, the last of July, and I went up to Norfolk, Virginia, and had his service. And it was a wonderful privilege to tell a simple story of how, as little boys, uh, my brother had gone to an old Baptist church and heard the gospel. He came home and told me and scared the daylights out of me. I knew I was so bad God was going to condemn me and I lived in that fear I talked about until Jesus finally came into my heart. But I had Ronnie's funeral. And then one month later, <clears throat> I had another call from Virginia. Uh, my only cousin, the, the remaining cousin of my generation, uh, they were bakers down in Virginia, and uh, I, they asked me to come and do the funeral for my cousin Larry. I'd talked with him. He was, a, he was a difficult person. You've got some of those in your family? Don't answer that. <laughs> All of us do. Larry went through women like he went through underwear. He broke so many. He was the handsomest. He was the handsomest of all the, the grandkids. And everybody knew it. Always had more than the rest of us. But he refused to talk about the Lord. A month before he died, I went to see him. Coming back from my brother's funeral, I stopped and talked with Larry. Larry said, Now just leave me alone. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay, Kenny. I'm okay. They're not okay. He wasn't okay. He was lost and he knew it. And he said, just leave me alone. Rebellious. And you've got friends. You've got family. You've got those that you love who say, well, just leave me alone now. Just leave me alone. We're not going to leave them alone. We're going to love them with the love of Christ. We're going to reach out to them with the hands of grace. We're going to be kind, be firm in your faith to the, and faithfulness to the Lord. Share the gospel with them. I am, when I had his funeral, his niece, who is also a wonderful believer, said, as Larry laid there with emphysema, heavy oxygen, in the last few moments he seemed to cry out to the Lord, was he saved, she asked me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God, and neither are you. Neither are you. We just don't know, but you've got to be a witness. You've got to love them. You've got to share with them. For you see, when we cry unto the Lord, for this man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord saved him out of his trouble and out of his distress, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is the Savior. He's the final judge. And regardless of what you think, 
and what your friend says and what your daddy says and what your grandpa says. I'm all right, just leave me alone. It's all right to say to them, oh, my dear friend, there is a God at the end of the road. There is a judge at the end of the road. Either we meet him now, and Jesus said, as he healed the, the man who was let down through the, you remember, Jesus was preaching in Capernaum, and it, there were so many people there, and some men had a friend, they brought him on a blanket, and up at the roof, they just broke up the roof and let him right down in the middle of Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And then our Lord said, so I made the greatest statement. He said, I have come that you might know there is forgiveness now. You can settle with the God of eternity now. You don't have to wait until death. You don't have to wait to the final judgment. Christ has died. And if you'll bow your knee and your heart, I said to Larry, Larry said, well, just leave me alone. I said, Larry, you need to get in your truck, close the doors, and turn off the radio, and just cry out to the Lord for salvation. I pray that he did. There's the third picture very quickly. It's in verse 23 through verse 31. Here's a fourth picture, and it's an interesting one. Those that go down to the sea in ships, do business in great waters, They've seen the work of the Lord and the wonders in the deep. And he spoke and rose up a stormy wind and lifted the waves out of the sea and rose up to heaven and went down to the depths. And the, their souls melted in misery and reeled and staggered like drunk men. They were at their wit's end. The Jews were not sailors. The Phoenicians were. The people of Lebanon the country lived. They were they were they were sales. They were people who lived on the sea, but the Jews did not like water. They were fearful of the water because they had been taught that that the evil spirits stirred up the water. And here's a picture when the Jews thought about the most miserable condition you could be in. It was out on the water in a little boat bobbing up and down. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gone deep sea fishing and gotten so sick that you wished you would die and been in that boat when it bobbed around? I have, and I have seen the waves come up, and, you, and it, the boat goes down, and you wonder if there's a bottom to that ocean, and it comes up again, and everything within you goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down and finally goes. <laughs> Miserable, miserable. And so many people in the world are living a miserable existence. One day is good and the next day is bad. Their life just seems to be like living in the midst of a storm. But listen what happened. They cried to the Lord, verse 28, you see it? They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them up out of their distress. He caused the storms to still. Remember, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, and the sea got rough, and they cried out 
Jesus, don't you care for us? And Jesus got up and said to the waves, And what happened? The waves calmed. Your life may be like that turbulent sea. You may feel, God, I know what that thing is talking about. That's the way my relationship is with my husband or with my wife or with my kids. And everybody is just upchucking all their blame and blasphemy against each other. But God is able to calm your heart and calm the sea. One of the things that happened to me when I first came and became a believer, my mother and my stepfather were not believers. We was not raised in a Christian family. They didn't go to church. The only time I heard God's name was in vain. But after the Lord saved me, a preacher came to our house to talk to my stepfather very difficult man difficult man it took me a lot of years to make peace with him iron out the wrinkles with him by the way my son has a wonderful song he is a composer of Christian music YouTube Brett Ellison he has a song ironing out the wrinkles with you now that may not mean anything to some of you young people but we used to iron clothes do you remember <laughs> huh? And there's an old mountain saying, we need to iron out the wrinkles here in this place. Who do you need to iron out wrinkles with? Before your daddy dies, before your grandpa dies, before grandma dies? Go iron out the wrinkles with them. Tell them you love them. Tell them there's grace. Grace greater than all our sins. Grace greater than all our sins. And look, verse 30, they were glad when that sea was quietened and he guided them to a desired harbor. One of the greatest events of grace was when God saved my stepfather. Now, he was an old truck driver, seen his father shot down when he was six years old in front of him. He had been pitched from pillar to post, as we say, down in the mountains. I didn't realize what a terrible childhood he had, and I couldn't understand that till I got older and had children of my own, grandchildren of my own, now great-granddaughters, two of them. But God works miracles. Has God worked a miracle in your family? Say amen. amen. Has he? Has he? Do you know somebody that God needs to work a miracle in their family? Tell the Lord their name right now. You don't have to tell me. Tell the Lord. For you see, he is the one who delivers us from our troubles and our distress and our confused life. He gives us purpose. And those who sit in darkness, he gives light. You are now walking in the light of Jesus, many of you. And if you haven't, then listen to this last verse again. Psalm 107, verse 43. Who is wise? 
I don't mean educated. I mean wise. It doesn't take a college education to trust the Lord. We simply cry out to him in our need. Who is wise? Let him, let her give heed to these things, the wonderful grace of God. And consider the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Dear Father in heaven, we bow before you, the God of mercy and grace, the God of forgiveness, one who can take all of our sins and cast them behind your back and cast them into the deepest sea. And you remember them no more, although Satan often brags and reminds us and regurgitates all of that stuff we did. Oh, dear God, it is covered by the blood of Christ. That's the atonement. That's the sacrifice. That's the grace act of God on the cross that gives us salvation. So we bow before you, and if there's anyone within the sound of this preacher's voice, Holy Spirit of God, say amen to their hearts that this is true. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, dear friends. Brother